0: Welcome to PwC's weekly accounting podcast series. I'm Heather Horn. In today's episode, we're grabbing a topic straight from the headlines with a focus on cybersecurity. I'm joined in the studio by Jim Fox, PwC Principal of Cybersecurity and Privacy. I had Jim as a guest on a recent Power and Utilities webcast and wanted to get him on the podcast to share all his insights with you because this is not a topic just for the IT department. So, Jim, thanks so much for joining me this morning. Looking forward to our conversation about cybersecurity. Particularly appreciated given that we had a little issue in our studio with carbon monoxide poisoning over the weekend, or the threat of carbon monoxide poisoning. So we're here in a conference room our offices Mm -hmm. in 300 Madison. So anyway, thank you. Of course. Um, So, Jim, when I was uh, reading the newspaper this morning, I actually read in the Wall Street Journal that the term cyberspace was coined in 1982. So almost 40 years ago. William Gibson. Yes, very good. Um, Great book. I will have to read that book Mm -hmm. now that I read about it. Mm -hmm. But it seems like the concept of cybersecurity is obviously much more recent than 40 years. Uh,
1: Yes and no. Actually, William Gibson, in his first uh, book... Neuromancer uh, talked about something called ICE Mm -hmm. and ICE was the way that systems protected themselves it was really AIs protecting Uh fighting each other So this was back in like
0: 1980
1: he's amazing yeah but he's basically predicted the future which is pretty much here where the bots are written by people writing malware and the way you try to protect yourself is through systems that are smart enough to recognize when they're being attacked so nowadays attacks happen at the speed of you know light, practically, between them. So, yeah, he was very forward-thinking. I don't even think he realized how aggressive and intense the environment is that people would have to try to operate in and the threat environment.
0: So then, starting with the threat environment, it mm-hmm. seems like, back to the newspaper, every day there's new attacks and, and new things that are happening. So is it different than a few years ago, or we're just reading more about it?
1: I, I think it's a, little, it's a little of both. And so, is it different? Absolutely. Uh, the, the reason why is um, I actually presented to the Financial Stability Board, which is 16 central banks, a couple of years ago, and I told them about the cyber tsunami that's coming. And what that meant was the democratization of the tools to hack. Uh, it's pretty easy to become a relatively proficient, not expert, but proficient hacker. To go after the low-hanging fruit of people, so uh, and they can operate in pretty much impunity in many countries. So of course, the adversary has a lot of the benefits. O- offense is always easier than defense. Mm-hmm. So yes, there's a lot more people basically trying to monetize uh, attacks. Nobody robs banks anymore. Um, when, why would you do that when you can do oh, much just better? better. Yes. Wire and transfer exactly? And, you know billions. exactly. Yeah. So what you find is. Um, Yes, the environment's worse because the adversary is getting better. You have nation states that have 50,000, 100,000 people just hacking on on their behalf. And then you have um, just a huge amount of cyber criminals who see this as an easy way to be successful. And take on top of that the speed of the technology um, and the ability to, for instance, write a program that can leverage the cloud to do attacks across literally millions of machines at the same time, and it's it's worse.
0: I, I do want to talk at the tail end about personal cybersecurity. Sure, absolutely. I think that's something everyone's worried about. But in the meantime, in the context of everything you just described, what should companies think about when they're thinking about managing cybersecurity risk?
1: Well, I think what you just said, is the last word is key, risk. Uh, There has been, and still in many organizations, there's a thought that cybersecurity is this activity that you can put in place, you lock your stuff down, and it's all good to go. Um, Reality is, as long as you're going to interact with your customers, (laughs) your suppliers, anyone... you're going to have to expose yourself to a certain amount of risk. So the key is to manage the risk and, and be thoughtful about the risk and understand the trade-offs that you're making. Uh, so it's a, if you look at it from a non-cyber um, executive, it is just the same as managing liquidity risk. It's the same as managing market risk. It's the same as managing any of those types of risks that they deal with all the time. Uh, you have to think about it from a cost-benefit analysis and do the trade-offs. This is just another one of those risks. The challenge about cyber are two things. One, um, quantifying the risk is much more difficult. Knowing, you know, everyone knows where the loan portfolios uh-huh. sit. Knowing where your key data and information sits is a lot harder. Um, you know that if you offset and securitize some lending somewhere, that that risk is now theirs. Uh-huh. But when you're working with third parties and suppliers and you're passing your information to them, connecting, uh-huh. you you still have the risk, but they have the responsibility. In other words, they can be the vector on how something bad happens. Many, many times that I've done, I've probably done 50 major incident responses in the past three years. Many times it's the third party which makes a mistake and that exposes them. So the risk is a lot harder to quantify in the cyberspace and things happen a lot faster. I mean, credit models haven't really changed much in the past probably 100 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least since Fair Isaacs, right? People have pretty much adopted a, a version. Whereas cybersecurity, the threat and the risk and how you're attacked, etc., is changing so quickly. Part of it is because technology is changing, cloud, um, is changing IoT. What it means is there's more places for a hacker to get to. And as we at let people, as we basically use systems to control more things like factory floors, mm-hmm. the risk also goes up. So that's why cyber is catching so much attention because it's harder to, to quantify, it's harder to understand where your exposure is and technology moves so fast and and if you don't move with the technology you don't have a competitive advantage but if you do move you open yourself up so that's why cyber is taking up so much of the space and why regulators care about it so much and it's why you see it in the press
0: So then Jim you talk about you've responded to 50 cyber incidents probably more and Mm -hmm. again we've all read in the newspapers these cities that have been attacked and all different things can you just give an example or a few examples of the types of things that can happen or can go wrong
1: yeah I'll use the ones that are most common that people see so the the first one that I think everyone is aware of is ransomware Mm -hmm. so um, ransomware is nothing more than um, you get an email looks like it's coming from your boss or a friend You click on it, it could be a document, a Christmas card, and when you open that up, it puts one of those bots I was talking about, little programs, onto your machine and it takes control of that machine. And then that machine can then use its rights, because let's say you do this on your work machine, you know, your work machine has the right to be on the business Mm, network. network, so it will go from there and look to see where else it can go. And what it's looking to do, it's looking to find servers and things like that, so it basically just encrypts the hard drive. And what does that mean? It means it takes it and rewrites the hard drive over in a way that, without a special key, you can't read it. So, so what they do is they will encrypt it.
0: Right. That's, and this that's is way very beyond, common. This is way beyond the emails that said, "I'm in a jail someplace. Send me a thousand dollars." Yeah, yeah. That's
1: called social engineering. Yeah. That's where you just try to convince someone you are who you aren't. Yes. Um, and therefore, you do something. This literally locks it down. But but ransomware is going after everyone, and but they're all kind of have that in common. So that's one of the most common ones we see. Another one we see is the social engineering you're talking about, which is. I get onto your system. I now know your, I, you know your usernames and passwords. Frankly, you know there there have been so many big breaches, where the where usernames and passwords They're are everywhere. out there everywhere. So yeah. someone will grab a bunch of usernames and passwords, and they'll go, oh, well that's Jim Fox. Let me see if I use his work email. I'm going to try that same password because people use the same passwords all the time. Oh, and I just got in. So now I'm into somebody's work email. Now I can basically send messages to, say, the controller. And I'm the CFO. And I can say, hey, we need to wire these funds right away because we're doing this acquisition. Or I'm, you know, you can get people to do things. You know, you can, a really famous one is to get a supplier to send you an email. So this supplier, not you, got hacked. The supplier gets hacked, you get an email from your typical contact over at the supplier and says, hey, next time you pay us, pay us to this bank account instead of this bank account. And you turn around and send them a million dollars and they're like, why haven't you paid me yet?
0: Right, and then meanwhile- So that's social,
1: exactly. So So those are two very, very common where basically you spoof an identity or ransomware. Those are the two that organizations see. And then there's basically just data exfiltration, which is just a fancy word for stealing data. Right. Uh, And that can be, um, once you have access to a system, you'll look around and try to find data. Um, An insider may or may not be involved. Insiders are involved a lot, but what people don't realize is 99% of insiders aren't malicious, they made a mistake. And they're the ones that clicked on the wrong email or something like that. They're not, but it wouldn't have worked without an insider. But what happens in that situation is therefore, they will look at say your data lakes that everyone has, where you've taken a bunch of your data put together so marketing and everyone can utilize it, the security around those systems aren't always as good as the security around the systems where the data came from. So all of a sudden, that's what I mean, if no your data's at. So that's the third one is they, they will look for opportunities to steal data. If I had to say those are the those are the three, then the last one is just denial of service. The mm-hmm. so denial of service is I'm going to contact you and ping you and ping your website from so many places at the same time that actual customers can't get in. Because oh, this
0: is what's happened to these cities.
1: Yeah, this opposition. is a DDoS attack. Yeah. It's it's um, distributed denial of service. The reason why distributed means that something is you can't just say, oh, this IP address is trying to do too much. They'll hit you from a thousand different locations. Oh, so so which are the customers, which are not the customers? There are ways, but it's harder. Mm-hmm. Um, So that's the last one, denial of service. And especially in, say, a manufacturing environment, the systems are older, they're not as as easily to protect, and they're extremely exposed to a denial of service to where literally they can take your plant down because the systems can't talk to each other because there's so much noise just being thrown into the systems. So those are the four big buckets that we see.
0: Wow. I could sit here and ask you way more questions about that, but I know we have to keep moving. So let's assume then one of those four things happen to you, how should the organization respond?
1: Let's, let's start with a little bit of prevention, but okay. prevention only gets you so far. Okay. So there's this thing called cyber resilience, which is nothing more than operational resilience or financial resilience or whatever. And that's a key aspect. Resilience is you try to do what you can do to protect yourself, to mm-hmm. prepare. But at the end of the day, you know there's gonna be some kind of issue. I mean, organizations will be penetrated. Given, given time, anyone will get penetrated. Okay. It's just a it's a numbers game. You, you, you want to lower your odds as much as possible. So resilience says, we know something bad is going to happen. What we want to do is try to mitigate what could happen, in other words, by having different levels of protection of your information, and be ready to respond. So one, you should always make sure you know where your information's at, and you should make sure that you're thinking about cyber from a risk perspective and making your trade-offs and... I cannot stress enough that you cannot do good cybersecurity unless you know what you're protecting. Mm-hmm. We call it the crown jewels from the um, NIST, which is the U.S. government's information body that, that basically provides a very good outline of how you do cybersecurity. It's 15 pages in plain English. I recommend any executive read it. You, you will really understand this stuff. It's, Open your eyes. Yeah, and, and, and I think it gives, it gives you the ability to ask the right questions. Um, So back to if and when you're finally breached. The first thing is have a plan. And what that means is, so last week I was in San Jose with one of my clients doing what's called a tabletop exercise. A tabletop exercise is nothing more than we walked them through a scenario that that was specifically tailored to what their risk environment is of where they got breached. It was to get everyone in the room. Legal was in the room. IT was in the room. Operations was in the room, marketing was in the room, PR was in the room, and we talked about what would you do in this situation? And and, and so every organization needs an incident response plan. It should be part of your larger crisis plan because you don't figure it out on the fly. If you're ad-libbing, it's not a really good thing. Too many times where organizations say, we have an incident response plan, but no one's actually ever gone through and done it. Or worse yet, they think they've done it, but the people that really should have been there aren't there. I mean, I was in a situation once where I showed up in an incident. The CEO was there, the CFO was there, the general counsel was there. All these people were there. And there were also people from operations and IT, etc., cetera, um, that were supposed to be there. And I was talking, I was introducing them to each other. Oh, yeah, that's good. Like, they had never yeah. met. And I said, but you guys told me you do this every year. And it's like, well, I actually send my, oh, representative. my my representative who, you know, is probably, you know, the, the person that is six levels down below them to do it. That doesn't really work um, because you until you get those right people in the room and you talk about that crisis, how to do it, that's, you're not going to do well. So first is don't, don't ad-lib. You prepare and you practice. You know, I with the Naval Academy you used to say that you, you know, the more you sweat and in training, the less you bleed in battle.
0: Oh, it's a good saying.
1: Yeah. I mean, it is absolutely true in organization. So when you when you think it's kind of a pain to go to these things, etc., it's not. It really does make a lot of sense to do it. Second thing is make sure that information flows freely. And what I mean by that is, is right now, you're focused on figuring out what happened. Um, once in a while, we'll find someone that was outrageously malfeasant. Like they weren't doing their job at all, mm-hmm. or some somewhere somebody was really frankly malicious. That is pretty much. I probably can tell you two stories about that in twenty years. What really so going out and figuring out who screwed up and who didn't do their job, not, it doesn't it doesn't work it. very yeah. well. And frankly, it, there's hardly ever a satisfying answer. So just don't do it. Just focus on the issues. Fig- make sure everyone knows we're going to figure this out. We know people made mistakes. We all make mistakes. We're going to work it out. That's how you handle it. If you handle that, then there's a free flow of information. You want to do two things when you're doing this. One, you want that free flow of information. Two, you want to over-communicate and be transparent. And what I mean by that is you have lots of stakeholders, customers, regulators, suppliers, Mm -hmm. etc., Um, First of all, there's a lot of rules. Like the SEC has a rule, 72 hours, um, notification of a major breach. There's even tighter ones. The New York Department of Financial Services, et cetera, have very, very strict rules around when you must notify people. So that's part of that transparency. Let your regulators know. Let them know. You will not have all the data. You will not know... Um, what happens. Understand, say, it's a breach. We don't know the extent of the breach, but it is significant. And we're investigating. And we're investigating it, and we will keep everyone informed. We've, you know, we've taken these actions to try to limit the exposure. that's how you handle it, but just burying it doesn't work, and that transparency works a lot.
0: Yeah, one thing that's interesting with transparency, and it kind of goes back to your point about having a plan, mm-hmm. you don't want to be scrambling at that moment to figure out who you should be communicating Absolutely. to. Absolutely. You have all of these requirements, and you just mentioned a few of them, mm-hmm. and if, if you don't have that plan in place for who and when and who's responsible for making those communications. I mean that's one thing you, you don't want to hear. You be just won't you, you won't you'll point. get them
1: wrong. Right. You'll you'll miss you'll miss a key stakeholder that you right. should have spoken to. You will not put things in, in the right order. It uh, is, it is it just I cannot stress enough that you need to have a plan. Uh, and you separate the plan into what are my immediate responses? Um, what do I need to do to contain mm-hmm. and what do I need to do to recover. I mean, those are the two pieces and then what, what do you need to do to remediate recovery is get your systems back online you know um, change the passwords and uh, all your um, employees that's how you recover get your systems back to where they're secure and you can use them again remediate is okay now why did this happen um, we need to make this change we need to install this information we need to basically train people don't click on these things, et cetera. So that remediation is the last phase. And again, if you go back to the NIST cybersecurity framework, it talks about the life cycle of cybersecurity, identify, protect, you know, respond, recover, those kinds of things. It tells you kind of what, what the role is and what how each one of those matters.
0: Yeah, and we should, we'll put a link to that in the show notes Great. just in case hopefully Great. some of our listeners will want to Great. listen. Because I think one thing that's interesting to me, and, and you and I have talked before about this, is that this is... You know, I think for most finance people, this seems like an IT problem. But Mm -hmm. as soon as you start going through all these things that need to happen, it's very clear that there is an important role for finance, the controllers department, absolutely, um, and operations, etc.
1: Yeah, there. I mean, cybersecurity is a team sport. Cyber is not going to be successful without everyone, especially because um, everyone is a vector. Every every single endpoint you have which is a laptop a phone etc every one of those is a possible entry point and individuals control those things we, you know IT doesn't get to say what gets clicked on and doesn't get clicked on so much of the damage is reputational damage right. it's regulatory sanctions it's things like it's not the actual event that happens it, it's those things and IT doesn't control any of that stuff uh, and also think about this when IT asks you and says you know, we're not going to release. We, we don't think we can release that product until it goes through another round of cyber testing. Um, we don't think that we should connect this new acquisition to the network until we've done this. Those are not IT decisions. They can only give you some perspective on the risk. Those decisions are business decisions, mostly financial decisions.
0: Well, yeah, and I think that goes back to when you were talking about managing risk. You know, anytime you have risk. Sometimes the more money you spend the more you can bring risk down but there's sometimes a balance with that Absolutely. again another place where it's going to be important for the controllers other finance people what are the you know to understand what are the risks how can we address the risks
1: think of the scenarios called they're called threat threat models think of the scenarios that would basically cause the controller and the CFO to get woken up at 2am those are the scenarios and therefore, what systems would they get to? What what information do they absolutely should not be able to get access to? If you think about that and then say, okay, now what are we doing to protect those things? And let's focus our money and our training and everything around those things. Understand that you know other things won't be protected as much. So the questions are, what matters? How am I spending my money and my efforts and my training to protect those things that matter? If you do that, that addresses a lot of what you were just asking, which is, how do I know I'm spending my money on the right places?
0: Right. And then, Jim, maybe turning slightly, we've talked a little bit. You call people vectors and Mm -hmm. they're a point of entry. But I know for a lot of people... You you read in the newspaper people's cell phones being hacked, you know, email and things. What should people, individuals, think about if they're just thinking of their own cybersecurity? Sort of a bonus topic. Sure,
1: sure. So I mean, nobody wants to get, and and frankly, there are a huge amount of petty criminals Mm -hmm. inside. There's this story about two guys running away from a bear, right? And they're running away from the bear, and this, and the one guy stops and is putting on running shoes, and the guy's looking at him and goes, "Dude." Bears run 35 miles an hour. Those running shoes are not going to let you outrun the bear. He says, I don't have to outrun the bear. I just have to outrun you. Right, right. So what that means is you just don't want to be the low-hanging fruit. So you want to do intelligent things. For instance, don't respond to emails of someone you don't know who they are. If you get an email from your bank or something like that asking you to do something, banks don't do that. Pick up the phone. Call the bank. Mm -hmm. Right? things things like that if you if someone if someone says you must contact me here you must do this i mean it could be the simple thing your warranty is no longer and yeah you just don't want to be passing those people you don't want to be passing those people your credit card information Mm -hmm. you know it's Mm -hmm. better to pick up the phone now do not call the number they give you you take out your your debit card you call the number on the back of the card do not call do not call any number that anyone ever gives you and says call me Nobody in the world who's credible will ask you for a password. Right. Nobody credible in the world will ask you for your social security number. So if something looks too good to be true, it, it is. probably is. If somebody's asking you to share personal information, then don't do it. If you do those two things, you're pretty safe. How
0: about um, using public networks? So I was reading, you know, you shouldn't use the... The jacks in the airport and a hotel or things like that—that's that, like an entry point where people. It,
1: can... it, it is. It is. It's. It's very hard to hack um, a modern device nowadays. As long as you basically keep the security that's built into these phones, it's really hard for someone to attack one of these remotely. But if the phone is plugged in, oh, and I have, I and I have access point. to it, yeah, I can pretty much get in. So what—that's what you have to be worried about in those situations is. It says somebody basically hidden a 3G modem. Not not, not to be able to put it up there, Mm -hmm. but someone else, a 3G modem, um, you know, LTE, whatever, in there, um, to where when you plug in, it's like you're literally plugged into this malicious computer. (laughs) Um, So you want to be careful about that kind of stuff. So, yeah, you want to be really concerned about doing that. It's much better. My advice is take out your little power adapter, plug in your thing, then plug it in. Don't plug it into the USB directly. Then the odds of someone being able to do that to you drops dramatically.
0: All right, well that's very helpful. So then Jim, any final thoughts to wrap things up for our listeners? I guess I would say
1: one, it is the threat environment's worse. Um, It's going to get worse. Uh, The adversary, no matter how much money you spend on this, the adversary will always have the, the advantage. The second thing is treat it as a risk, manage it as a risk, try to understand the risk mitigate those risks and those risks should be evaluated by what things do you need to protect the most so treat it as any other risk management activity you're doing Um, and ask those kinds of questions to your, your IT groups and to your CISO then the last thing is practice and prepare and take that preparation seriously so you can do the very best job you can in responding and when it comes to the actual response try to free flow of information inside the organization over communicate to your stakeholders, and ensure that people behave correctly during what is an intense time, um, and where people might be scared. Those are the things I would leave you with.
0: Good, very good advice, Jim. Thanks again. For of course, it was today. my pleasure. Thank you. Join me back here next Tuesday when we save the world. Mm, maybe not quite. When we help save your day to accounting with our first crossover episode featuring specialists in all our favorite topics, revenue, leasing, and Cecil, we're combining their forces to help you bring order and peace to your accounting department. So that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the series wherever you listen to your podcasts. And I'd love to hear from you. So write to me at heather.horn at pwc.com or to stay up to date on the latest content, Let's Connect on LinkedIn. For PwC, I'm Heather Horn. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by PwC All Rights Reserved.